Welcome to the um, sixth episode of the Great Hats podcast. Um, I think this is episode six, right? It got a bit confusing because last time we, we split it into two. So we'll just say six. This is actually kind of an interesting episode. We have a, a guest for the very first time. Yay! Yay! I guess I'm, I'm more excited than everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Jay. Sorry, I'm Saskia. I'm March. I'm Jose. I'm Harriet. And I'm Cybergibbons. And for the next um, hour to uh, an hour and a half, we'll be the Grey Hats. Um, so what have people read about over the last month? People have must have been reading the news. <laughs> like I've given you a month to prepare for this. <laughs> I actually, uh, I remember reading something a, a month ago and this one, I thought it was kind of cool. It was a just a GitHub issue that I came across for the Cinnamon screensaver. Did anyone see that? Oh, this is the bypass. So you could bypass the lock screen on Cinnamon. It, exactly, exactly. And the reason why that was, was kind of funny to read is the, um, the in the issue, the guy was saying that, well, I've got it here. So a few weeks ago, my kids wanted to hack my Linux desktop. So they typed and clicked everywhere um, while I was standing behind them looking at them play when the screensaver core dumped and they actually hacked their way in. So it was basically a bunch of kids like banging at the screen until it, until it crashed. Um, so that was like really cool to, to hear. I mean, like it's, it's cool to hear about kids um, hacking things. Can you, can you call it hacking if you're just bashing on a keyboard? Well, all I do is bash a keyboard all day long and hope for the best. It's monkeys and typewriters, to be honest, isn't it? There's not really... We uh... used that analogy last time and I, I got in some trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just, I, I remembered I, I was delivering a training course with Ubuntu laptops and someone said I didn't have to log in. I just kind of swiped sideways and it bypassed the lock screen. And these are people who never used Linux before. So this was Ubuntu 16, I think. But yeah, they found a way past it. So we do kind of rely on a screensaver, don't we, to lock our computers. Yeah, for sure. I don't think in Linux it's it's set in stone how that works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this is actually an issue because um, it tends to happen fairly often with um, like with the Cinnamon screensaver and Mate screensaver. Mm-hmm. If anyone ever reads, you know, JWZ, the uh, X screensaver blogs guy, um, he has put out so many blogs where it's been like, I reported this issue four years ago and they ignored it, and now here we are. Um, so yeah, every time I use Ubuntu, I always install X screensaver because it's the only thing that doesn't have about twenty CVEs to its name. It's actually funny you mentioned that because I, I was reading his, his blog earlier, um, and he went on a rant about this this like particular issue, um, and and it ended with um, just to add insult to injury. Uh, it's recently come to my attention that not only are GNOME screensaver, Mate screensaver, and Cinnamon screensaver buggy and insecure dumpster fires, but they are also in violation of my license and infringing my copyright. <laughs> so, so this guy is like like pretty mad with um like with these other projects, and and yeah, like you're, you're totally right. He's pretty mad about technology in general, but I mean, um, Mate, Cinnamon, and GNOME all share the same code base originally, right? Um, Mate and Cinnamon are based on what GNOME two, and then GNOME is GNOME three. So it's an, it's it's obvious they're inherently going to share the same issues. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, okay, have a it, its own screensaver. I thought that was pretty. Which good. one? 
KDE. KDE, KDE. had its own screen screensaver. And I thought that was pretty good, actually, if I recall. It's been ages since I've used KDE. Um, I, I've actually, yeah, I've not used KDE for a long time either. I can't actually remember the last time I used it. Probably been like eight years like for me. Year. <laughs> yeah. But um, the reason why I kind of like this story as well is that um, because they said that they were just uh, like, just playing, just leaning on it. The guy had no way of recreating the, the vulnerability. Um, and I had a friend at university that did that very thing, but it was with an ATM. So he, he had this way of just leaning on this ATM and it would, it would like go into the debug mode. Of course, you know, it's like a, a password you've got to put it in, but he had no idea what it was. He just knew that if he let on it a special way, uh, he would get into the into the debug menu, which I thought was pretty cool. Why 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 did he why did he learn that skill? Why was he doing that repeatedly? That's what I want to know. I want to know how what was he, he gaining from how that? How he found out. <laughs> so it was at the um the student union, and I think we were just there drinking, and he he just lent on the um the the ATM that was there. Um, it's probably just a busy night or something, and and then it, it happened, and then ever since that time, he could just go up to it, lean on it on the keypad a certain yeah. way. Uh, and, and yeah, and I was like, dude, how did you do that? It's like, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a pseudo bomb. Did people see that one? There's always a pseudo bomb. <laughs> There's always a... <laughs> there is always, there, yeah. yeah. It's actually quite a complicated vulnerability. Like if you follow it through, there's a lot of different steps mm -hmm. there. Um, but at the same time, if you caught any of them with static code analysis or whatever you'd have stopped that vulnerability happening um and it's been there since 2011 i think oh, yeah it was the commit or something but it, it's been mainstream for for nine years or something is that like that the one is that the mad. one where the third vector was something like an arbitrary file right but they weren't able to actually control what it was you just got a timestamp or something like that no that was probably just another that, one <laughs> i mean if that's another one that was like a month ago as well so mm. okay yeah, so the one that um that uh, I saw and I guess Cyber Gibson saw as well was the um the heat based buffer overflow. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah, the write up it was it was fairly impressive. Um, I mean, I only, I just kind of skimmed the interesting parts, but I think it was to do with um you had to to run sudo in shell mode, so with like dash s, give it some arguments, and if you started uh, ended the arguments with a slash, um, then it read the null byte instead and then you know things got into weird states and the the, the buffer um the buffer was kind of overwritten. It's but it's the same the, problem. Um, it's just there's another there is another mechanism to exploit it that they weren't able to get a um payload into where you had an arbitrary write, I believe. It is the same problem. Okay, that to use pseudo edit, um I think yeah. because uh, I think it like some of the flags that were being set when you run pseudo meant that that actually that code path wasn't um wasn't used but with pseudo edit. Yeah. Um it was yeah i that, that one actually dropped while i was on a an, a pen test i was doing um like a build review and i um read it i was like oh this is cool so either i can exploit it in the test and have a really awesome high-risk vulnerability in my report or i can tell the client and have them fix it and not get to write about it <laughs> yeah a friend of mine asked me to try and work out the arbitrary write thing for a poc because he needed it for a test or something like that and it was so i didn't mm -hmm. i didn't manage to do it but yeah i know the, the okay well, did they release yeah, a poc yeah. because when it came out i don't think there was a poc for it immediately there's not one in the, the disclosure but they've given enough info there that i think anybody with reasonable skill could have probably written one and it's probably yeah, out there makes, now. that's that sounds about right mm. 
there was a, a way to test whether you're you're vulnerable or not. So if you if you did it or to just A's or whatever, you could get it to crash. Um, but yeah, at the time there was like no nothing that was actually exploitable, like uh, that you could use in the test. But it was um like it. What, what do you think if if you find like I mean if someone releases a vulnerability and you're if you're in the middle of a test, um, would you exploit it and and or would you just uh, like inform the customer beforehand and I didn't like a fix I'd inform the customer. Um I'm not gonna test like my code on a customer's box. Um and it's gonna take I don't know. It'll take me a day to build a, the the right VM anyway that I have all the testing stuff on. So it's just a waste of testing time. I'd just be like, hey look, CVs just dropped. Here it is. By the way, this is critical, so patch it. If if I if something's ready to go, if I can just compile some code and I know it's good, I can test it on something I've got running already. Then I'll use it to go further. But you know, like Mark said, there you don't want to you don't want to waste your time developing some shady proof of concept code for a customer when you could be just looking for another issue that also gets you brute anyway. You know, there's you've got it. You've got to be, and fixing it as well. When we report stuff. I always like reporting by how you fix things. So if there's a patch out already, just tell them to patch it. Job done. That that issue's closed off. Um, yeah, 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 for sure. I think a lot of people they they get a bit obsessed with um, like getting those high uh, like high issues in the report or whatever. It's still a high issue, right? I mean, it's still something you'll you'll put down as high. There's no proof of concept. I think even CVSS has something for no proof of concept available, right? One of the scoring things. So yeah, yeah, you put that down and then you're just like, right, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, half the time with stuff like that, the hardest part is actually trying to find whatever, I don't know, the mitigation is before there's a patch in case they want to apply that. And there usually is some weird mitigation that you can find or something like, I don't know, not allowing someone to use pseudo edit in this case, because to be fair, who actually uses pseudo edit? I've, I've never used pseudo edit. I don't think I know anyone who's used pseudo edit ever. I've, I've used it a couple of times, but it's only when it's been someone else's machine and that's all you can use. You know, I don't have sudo to get a shell to run nano or whatever to edit something. Yeah. So you use that. What about, um, doesn't uh, BSD have, uh, what do they call it? Do as, the do as command instead of sudo. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, like I've been reading about people trying to move over to that just because it's, um, I think it's probably nicer code base, less like vulnerabilities. In Enjoy it. using BSD with its grand total of about 20 supported packages. <laughs> So yeah, that's why I couldn't use BSD full time. But I'm I think you, the the um, binary still can be used in Linux. Probably, I'm sure it wouldn't take much time to to, to you know move it over. But I mean, you've got you've got um not 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 you can you can use like um oh why is my brain not working? But set caps on things that you might need to use sudo with, and you have a lot more control over like the granularity of the privileges you're giving to things so you don't necessarily really need sudo anymore that much right just run everything as root you're sorted i, I know you're, you're maybe joking there but now that we're moving towards like microservices and like devops and just like spinning a box up like immediately to just do one tiny little thing sudo and and just running everything as a relelatively high privileged accounts becoming less less bad mm -hmm. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that just run everything as root, but 
you can kind of go near that nowadays without too much harm. Yeah, yeah that's actually, a, I think, a really valid point. Um, you know, things that are quite like quite isolated and doing one thing and the, the risk is low, I guess it doesn't really matter that much. Uh, um, it I still mean, feels weird. The, the, the argument I'd make is that I've used, I've seen a lot of like jail type things that I don't know man- manufacturers or, or whatever have built themselves and they've not been great but if you're using something well known like docker or something you're probably fine right and you're configuring it correctly I suppose mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I, wishful thinking I guess there's that caveat at the end like if you're doing it right <laughs> I mean the real thing to do would be to have like pseudo uh, used that all the time but have like i don't know a grsec install and everything else and make things extremely difficult to exploit like my my personal server is a red hat server with grsec custom compiled into the kernel and all that business you're not going to exploit that with pseudo come at me bro i'm also not going to put that much effort in it so yeah i actually don't know how i built uh, that image at all and i cannot replicate it whatsoever <laughs> but so is that why you always use like really old versions of software because you got it configured and set up yes. uh, to be super Secure, and then you just don't have to upgrade it. Yes, yes, exactly. I used to use like <laughs> one very weird, I think it was like a 2.6.18 version that had no known vulnerabilities. And I was like, this will do perfectly, even though we were on like 4.0 at the time. Yeah, that is a uh, classic March, I think. Uh, Saskia, you were going to say something. Yeah, so like Chippy and I did look at a couple of like, slightly less technical um, uh, stories this week so that our uh, <laughs> listeners wouldn't drown themselves having to listen to <laughs> so much technical stuff. Are you saying that I'm boring? Drowning, <laughs> Chippy was telling me about um, a story where a hacker broke into a system that treats drinking water supplies near Tampa. Jay, you messaged about this and I was looking at it um, and it doesn't even look like it was the most technical hack unless I've got that really wrong. Like they, you could actually, someone was watching the monitor and they could see the mouse going across the screen, <laughs> making the changes. And then the person was like, well, I'll just change that back then. But surely if you've got access, that's sort of a strange way to go about it. No, that, that's, that's quite common. No one's watching. That's quite common. Um, there've been a few people caught like that same way. Um, but, that's but, amazing. Yeah, that, I like the boldness of it. Yeah, that was, that was quite a good one. Uh, Jose, did you read about that? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did. <laughs> That's killed that yeah. one. So basically, they ended up cranking up at the, it's lye. So this is like sodium hydroxide, which I believe helps to decompose bodies. Yes. Um, and it almost poisoned 15,000. Jose agreed way too quickly on that. It's related to any kind of software vulnerability. So it was that, so the, the, the hacker um, or attacker or whatever, um, threat actor was trying to poison the water, so they managed to put some lye into the um, like into the reservoir, um, and yeah, luckily it was kind of found in time and uh, fixed. Because yeah, that could have been super dangerous. And I mean, that's the thing, right? You get all these power plants and um, like you know national infrastructure stuff hooked up to the internet. This kind of thing is going to happen. That's kind of a scary thought, really. This kind of thing has been happening for like. 10, 10 odd years, if years. not more. 20 years, yeah. yeah. When was Stuxnet? Stuxnet was 2011, but there were instances after that and there were instances before that. In the early before 2000s, that, yeah. there was some... I want to say he was a disgruntled employee in Australia who tried to poison a water supply by like over-flooding a sewage plant or something like that. Um, there, used to, there used to be a page somewhere that collated all of these. I used to do a lot of SCADA stuff when I was younger. Um, so I've like, been a that? lot of... 
it's too stressful. When you mean when you were younger, when you first started your career as a pen tester? Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was an easy. I'm it was surprised an easy target. NCC would let juniors just do skater stuff. Well, that's because he's just so bleat. They trusted me. They had a lot of trust in me. Because um, of all the experience he had. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, all of my previous experience before working at NCC. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've, like, I've known, I've, I've hung out in the, like, skater circles and stuff um, for a while as well. Um, but generally, the, the, the software is really insecure. Like, Siemens Simatic the software that uh, like Stuxnet targeted, for example, have a HMI, which is the panel where you would do this kind of thing. Um, that panel back in the day, 10 years ago, had a three character password for the VNC. Um, and it had uh, an on, like there was no there was passwordless cell net authentication where from, from which you basically had admin on the you know underlying Windows CE operating system. Um, like SCADA software was, was trash. What was what was cool about Stuxnet was that it was like replaying things and making it look fancy and involved a great deal of understanding of the underlying protocols. Not so much that SCADA has been secure ever because it's not. It's been terrible because it's it's never really been designed for security. So like in this case, um, was it, it was TeamViewer, right? Yeah, it was. Yes. Yeah. Um, with a uh, I think just that old version. I read that um, they the the plant wasn't even using it. They hadn't used it for six months. Because they had moved over to some other like remote access software, uh, but it was there with a weak password and, and someone logged in. Um, Andrew, like I think you do, you do some quite interesting stuff, right? With, with boats and whatnot, control systems and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Team Viewer is quite often to blame mm -hmm. for serious issues. I mean, there's only so much I can really say about some things, but. I've been sat on my sofa and I've had control of a cruise ship using TeamViewer. It's the thing is TeamViewer punches through net, you know, firewalls. It will find a way out if it can. It's really capable of doing that. So third parties love installing it because they know it will just work if you've got any holes. Um, and and like it was just been said, then you could replay commands with given protocols or stuff but if i can just get the hmi the human machine interface and just click on buttons from an attacker's perspective that's so much easier if i if i want to steer the ship left or right and press left or right rather than work out 400 <laughs> different things i have to send you know I'd, I'd much rather do that but then you've got that risk of getting caught um, you know you see the cursor but in the in the in the cruise ship situation i am um, Let's just say it was a a, a a less important system, something something that if it broke, people would be annoyed, but you know it's not going to hurt anybody. Um, and I was moving the mouse all over the screen, and I pivoted through other things, and they could watch it. A screen in the control room would have had this going on, but no one went. Why, why is why is this unimportant system suddenly accessing the ASI pods? which are the big motor things underneath the cruise ship that steer it. And it, it's just, you know, things like this are hard to solve. Mm -hmm. um, water plants, they want things to work. Yeah, and they need to be able to access them as well. Yeah, but apparently, apparently the, the, this was blamed on like a really critical lack of cybersecurity funding at a local level. So it doesn't yeah. really feel like they were putting a lot of resource into this. They were kind of doing the best they can. 
Um, but still, though, I mean, it's going to be an issue when you're looking. I mean, this is like this is CNI. This is critical national infrastructure. This is people's drinking water supply. This is the kind of stuff that you should be protecting. You really, really should be protecting this kind of stuff um, at a very serious level. And if you're not seeing that there's a risk there, then then like the issue the issue isn't the software that you're using. The issue is the attitude towards the people that you're supposed to be protecting. Well, I mean, the US CERT has been sending out like advisories about SCADA for easily the last 20 or maybe 30 years. So this is arguably just the case where they're they're not even they're not even paying attention, right? They don't care. And it's to- you're right. It's a totally an attitude thing. Yeah, I mean, literally, apparently, I've not seen it, but apparently there was a TikTok of the attack. So this is this oh, is how wow. this is how serious they were taking it. Was somebody videoed it and put it on TikTok as it was like because lol, you know, oh, look, something's <laughs> moving on the screen and I don't know what that is. Lol. Oh look, they've just put sodium hydroxide in all the drinking water. Lol. Um, you know, it's 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 like a combination. I think personally, I think it's a combination of attitudes towards the security and the safety of those people. What is a TikTok? <laughs> Dude, come on. Okay, old man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I, I think in, in this case it was um as i said they had actually replaced uh, team view or something else so uh you know this was just something they forgot about and that is totally a like attitude issue um you know i i have a lot of um patience for companies organizations and stuff that are trying to do the best they can um but when they have legitimate you know issues like with the nhs you know they can't always just get rid of every Windows XP machine because it's yeah because um, of cost and because yeah because they're horribly underfunded and it, it, exactly and sometimes but, there isn't an alternative as well because yeah. of legacy software. But in this case, if it's just you know the software was there and it was just left, I think that is a slightly different thing, isn't it? Like if they've managed to replace it but not like decommission the uh, the old stuff. Um, but uh, speaking like Chippy, when you mentioned about the the mouse being like moving and being uh, seen. What well, didn't that happen with uh, Gary McKinnon, if I remember? So he was this uh, this hacker. He um, hacked into a load of like US systems. Uh, I forget how, like almost almost 10 years ago, I think. Um, and I remember reading at the time that that they, they kind of saw that he was like moving the mouse and stuff. Ali, you'll, you'll know a bit more about this. Uh, why would I know anything about Gary McKinnon? I've never met him. I've- <laughs> I know of him. Uh, I want to say he was caught because he was spending his time attacking out of like 4,000 DOD computers and their networks are going to have monitoring even back then. I'm pretty certain it was a combination of things. I believe he was also like blogging about it on whatever his social networking thing was back in the day. And he'd been using the same nickname forever, which was attached to his real name. Do you notice how Ali started with, why would I know anything about that? (laughs) (laughs) Then knows everything about it. (laughs) Uh, I say that Ali knows nothing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but, but yeah, I definitely remember reading something about that. Um, and again, this was ten years ago. So I was um, this was even before I was working in security. I was a software developer. Um, but I was reading about it at the time, and uh, yeah, I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. <laughs> um, so, are you trying to segue? 
Oh man, I'll segue for you. It's fine. So whilst we're so whilst we're sort of thinking about like America and maybe like negligence and not wanting to look after your citizens that well, um, Chippy and I did see another story that was in Motherboard today, which was um, about um, a data broker that was selling location data from a Muslim prayer app. Ooh. Do you remember that one, Chippy? Yeah, yeah. Do you two only do research together? Do you only read we the do news? everything together. We do everything <laughs> together. Mm, okay. And it annoys you. I know this. Like seriously, <laughs> the separation, the separation of 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 lockdown is just yeah. playing for me and Chippy. Okay. Okay. Continue. <laughs> just just to clarify, isn't it better that they actually do research instead of like me who doesn't even know what <laughs> topics we're talking about? <laughs> I guess so. Maybe, Jose, maybe you can join them. You could do some, some work. And... They never invite me. Oh, okay. Next time. Well, the first time, like last month, we all tried to get together. Oh, yeah. Do a I bit didn't. of, yeah, and you didn't turn up. So. <laughs> me and Jose were otherwise occupied. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. doing your own podcast, you mutinous <laughs> bastards. Yeah, but they got oh, no wow. one to edit it, though. So. Oh, yeah. They're trying, they're trying to mutiny. Well, to be honest, we're all trying to mutiny against Jay. Am I not a good host? might break up too. Yeah. No way! Then it's just me talking to myself. <laughs> just so. have the trippy and sassy. Just like any other night. <laughs> okay, so basically the synopsis of it is Google kicked an app off the Google Play Store because they were selling location data of Muslims who were using this, this Muslim prayer app so that, like, I guess the government could spy on them. And we thought it was quite interesting because in one of the previous episodes, we've been talking about how it's just like totally okay to sell personal data to the government in the States and how that's like a bit shit. Yeah. Was it the app creators that were selling the data or was it someone who had breached the app? So reading about it here, it looks like the app had a kind of location analytics provider called Prodicio. Prodicio, yeah. I'm not sure how you say that, but... That has been linked through to uh, through a complex data supply chain to Ventel, who are a U.S. government contractor, who sells data location data to Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Oof. which is not a great combo. I think we should call them Predicio because you know, let's see. <laughs> Predicio. No. So they. It's a double C. Yeah. No. No. Co they've not given any comment to Motherboard. But this, this is the thing, like once your data leaves your phone and it hits one of these, you know, analytics providers, whatever, you've got no idea where it goes, to be honest. So does it say why the, um, the app manufacturer was using, using them? It, it doesn't, or I can't see okay. it. It says it was in their privacy policy at one point. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, having it having it within a privacy policy, I mean, yes, you can have it within a privacy policy, but that's what Andrew and I were actually talking about earlier today. Um, is like the deficiencies of privacy policies, the one that we were specifically looking at hadn't been updated for 58 months. So, you know, how accurate it would be is questionable. Um, and that's why one of the things about the GDPR that that is quite important and something that is particularly coming into effect now because of the privacy shield issues is that you need to actually try and check your supply chain as much as you can. So you need to be looking at your third party processors, where they're pushing the data to and trying to understand where realistically you can, what their supply chain is as well. Um, so the, 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 my assumption of this is that the app creator will have created this app with the intention of selling data in the long run. It's probably a free app. 
Um, yeah. And it, it's yeah. probably done in such a way that they knew they would sell this data through a supply chain at some point, and, and that will have basically been like the target for doing it. I could be wrong because I haven't really researched this, so this is based on entirely no evidence whatsoever. Uh, but my hunch would be that um, I, I, a lot, a lot of apps literally are just harvesting yeah. data for reasons that are not why they say the app was created. Yeah, so he he might not be wanting to sell that data to give your location away to the U.S. government, but to to target adverts mm. to, you know, say where the users are, things like that to other advertising companies. But once you've let things go to that third party, you lose control of it. It's to, provi it's to provide wider wider analytics, and we'll talk about this later, I'm sure. But when I question the ethics around the Giggle app. Like, what's the business model for it? My hunch has yeah. always been that it's to provide the data analytics of all of these women, um, whether it's aggregated or not. Um, the reality is once you hit that supply chain, you don't know what's happening with that data. And when you are dealing with stuff that's sensitive in the way that location is and it's sensitive in the way um, that, um, you know, sort of this this quite data that's relating to relationships or, or all of these sort of different messages that are going backwards and forwards, even when you anonymize that, you're not actually anonymizing it. So it's it's how it's processed at later stages that becomes quite scary. Um, and again, like one of the things that that Andrew and I had been talking about earlier, which was like the ethics of people who don't understand tech setting up tech like a tech solution. They often create the problem they think they're solving um, by doing so. But you know, I think that's something that we can talk about in, in the later later um, part of part of the podcast but this to me seems like a really good example of that i mean i've, I've just downloaded the app whilst we've been talking and it, it is just absolutely full of analytics <laughs> like it, it that's not the only provider it's it, it's interacting with or it's not sorry to be clear it's not the only provider that it's got code that means it could interact with them but this is just it, it's getting horribly common that apps mm. have five six 10, 15 different services where your data is going to. And all that the app does is ask for the permissions at the global level, your, you know, access to the external storage, the camera, um, to, to your location. And you don't know which one of those 15 is getting that data. It's quite, it's, I, I don't know how you manage it. I don't know how people get on top of this. It's interesting because really like phones having those like separation of privilege, like, oh, you can allow access to the camera, you can allow access to blah, blah, blah. It was an attempt to give people back a good deal of control from their data, like compared to, you know, you visit a website and every website has a Facebook button and then all your data goes to Facebook, that kind of thing. And it's interesting that people are just subverting it by instead embedding, I don't know, 30 analytics providers into their apps and you don't really get the control over what data is being sent across that. It's, it's just... Great, great idea, poor implementation, and people being shits. It's like whack-a-mole, and this is totally what um, March always says about um, like vulnerabilities as it's vulnerability whack-a-mole, but now it's become a third-party whack-a-mole. So like we've shut down Facebook, we've shamed them, we've stopped this from happening. Now there's this sort of like transparency that has to happen there. I mean, Facebook is still sending and selling data. I wouldn't say they're exactly the world's leader in privacy um they've just they, no, they've literally that, just that massive, that massive issue that came up that 60 percent of all of the apps that have been created with the free development packages that they had given pushing like the data directly to facebook was exposed 
Yeah, but I mean, is that going to stop them? Is that going to? It's not going to stop anything. All data is it, privacy is dead, and I've said this for years. Privacy's been dead for like privacy's been dead since the early two thousands, even. So I have a question, right? For for everyone. Um, so users. Uh, so I feel that users shouldn't really be expected to understand the ins and outs of of data security and privacy. I, I know that Jose probably disagrees, um, but I think that they shouldn't necessarily like have to know that. You know, if my nan wants to install WhatsApp because, you know, one of us has said like this is the way that you can get pictures of your like grandkids, like your great grandkids or whatever, um, she's going to install that and she's not going to understand any like data she's giving out. Tell her to use Signal and use Tor. <laughs> yeah. Is it up to the the device manufacturers or um, like the operating system to to protect the users in this case? You know, like we're talking about um, like more control over the um, like what the app can actually do, but but maybe maybe there should be some a bit more like responsibility there to to not. Like either not allow apps that will will do that, or to let people opt out of it. I mean, it's it's still technically the user's responsibility, but it would be nice if it was available in a way that was more accessible to people who don't understand security. But just legally, it obviously doesn't. But if they if they're putting it in like a huge list of conditions, if if technically you could find out for yourself, then they're kind of covering their bases, aren't they? I disagree. Like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think it was okay to sell, um, like a car that just kills people randomly and say you should have checked that it doesn't kill you. Read you the fine print. Yeah, yeah but if, <laughs> if, if, if you it, it said this car kills people. You know, but if it was in tiny fine print that says this car, and then it says it in some, this car might may cause spontaneous combustion of passengers in extreme situations, which are highly unlikely. You know, I, I, I just really feel like we push a lot of responsibility onto end users and not everybody has the understanding. And to be honest, actually, a lot of the people who create software and hardware don't understand the implications because things aren't properly threat modeled and we don't understand abuse cases properly because we're all white men, with the exception of Jay, who's a black man, and me and Chippy, who are women. Um, but you know, like if you look at information security, it's 15% women. So we don't consider abuse cases that don't fit in with our own risk profiles. And I think that this blaming of the end user is kind of an easy way to kind of shift that blame. Okay, oh, no, I don't follow, think, I don't think... follow up question. I'm sorry, JP, that, that is now your statement is staying in the podcast. No, it's fine. <laughs> We're going to make it a t-shirt. Blame the end user. Fine, I'm gonna I'm gonna double down on it. Yeah, Jippy says you can't fix stupid. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Follow up question. Um, how, how much blame should go to the developers then? So, like, I, I mean, you know, a company says, "Hey, we're gonna start spying on everyone and stealing all their data." Um, go write the code that does that. Does the actual, like the actual coder, the programmer, have any responsibility there, or is it just like the organization? Is a really helpful word here, Jamal. I think really we should be talking about educating people properly and supporting them to create software that is usable. I think if we're going to talk really in the terms of blame, then it would be more about corporate culture and exploitation culture through money. Blame it all of the. 
companies and the developers. Um, I mean, Google have complete control over their engine, right? With Dalvik or whatever it was. What's it called now? Art or something? Or am I confusing the two? And I mean, Apple have complete control over their runtime too, right? I mean, they, they have a walled garden. There's nothing stopping them from implementing something that says, hey, look, these are also the third-party providers that are taking data to blah, blah, blah. I mean, they can they can... You could do that stuff by hooking calls and things or making things do in a certain way. I mean, that's that's something they could do. And obviously, developers should take some responsibility. But I mean, the US certainly has a... This is the week that Google fired their entire AI ethics team. Like, literally, the only buffer between Google creating responsible software and the outside world, mostly women, interestingly... They fired. They just fired them over the space of what two weeks. So I mean, I would say it's it's the big organizations, not the individuals within them. Uh, I want I want March to expand on his technical solution to the problem. Come on, March. Is it kill them all? <laughs> it is kill them all. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just saying that there, like there's nothing stopping Google from getting a like a complete list of um, URLs for these third party providers, updating it every two months, and then implement like literally implementing that inside their runtime and checking, okay, this is but involving them. Google itself is an ad company. So yeah. they have like they have no incentive to to do things like that. I, I mean well, other than well, I, guess, I mean they could cut out their competitors. Well that's what I was gonna say, other than just like stop other people making money doing it. Um but yeah, I, I don't know. I think like I personally feel that those companies they should be taking some responsibility. Um, I mean, is, yeah, I, the third-party analytics market is is, is trash, and someone yeah. should do something about it. But every all all of tech is based in the U.S., and the U.S. Mm-hmm. government is not going to do anything about this because it is it's, it's a big fan of like capitalism. And you know, Jose, you can you can talk more about how how great capitalism, but it is. But I think personally, <laughs> it's 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 evil. I mean, I could talk about how great capitalism is. I just wouldn't put the U.S. on it because that's not capitalism is just corruption um but uh, again i don't i'm not sure how google or apple could uh, stop something something like that i mean you're talking about building a blacklist okay i mean how how effective is that how long well, are they they could even do from um, a policy level like you're not allowed to do okay. this so from a policy level they would forbid people, uh, developers, from doing what? What exactly are they going to put in that policy to stop? I want uh, Because it's easy to, to talk in a you know, general... Listen, Jose, don't uh, make me look like an idiot terms. here. Okay. But, uh, d- 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 just to interject. Uh, sorry, no, carry no, on. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just thinking, so w- one of the problems here is that we're talking about like some vague policies to protect people exactly but the thing is when you're a developer you're, you're sat at your desk and there's six other developers around you and your manager and you're being asked to do something unethical mm. that you consider unethical you need something like really concrete to turn around and go no what you're asking me to do here is illegal or or you know against our corporate code of conduct the the problem is like if you look towards architects if you look towards uh, chemical engineers, all these different people, they have, you know, professional standards that they can say, I'm, I'm not following that. I'm not doing mm. this anymore. Because with software engineers, because it's so formative, because we don't really know what to do, we can't 
build those policies so easily and and we we it's really hard to give you know the people on the ground the tools to turn around and say no i'm not doing this without i I completely agree that's why you know my first interjection was to ask march for his technical solution and then for to ask Jay for his policy solution, and none of them gave me a concrete answer because it's not a simple problem answer, to to fix. I can give you okay. a concrete answer, but give me this a concrete is something answer. that I've been banging on about for what the last five years, which is we don't have national occupational standards, which means that without national, well, actually, someone has written some national occupational standards for cybersecurity, but they're not they're not quite fit for purpose in my opinion. But we haven't been working against national occupational standards. Um, and we certainly haven't been working against international occupational standards, and we haven't been doing that across IT. Um, you know, even with the Computer Misuse Act itself, it doesn't actually have a definition of computer. Like, we don't benchmark against anything. So if you don't have occupational standards, you can't have ethical standards. Um, and again, segue. <laughs> Tippy was saying that the uh, the new Cybersecurity Council is supposed to be launching in uh, next month, is it? Yeah, March. In March. That was the one that I bid 1.2 million quid for, do you remember? Oh. <laughs> when, I, when I was like, right, okay, I'm going to do a Cybersecurity Council. Who wants to join me in really fucking this up? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the attitude so, that's good. <laughs> so I mean just to finish on the previous topic though before we move um, I mean she said segue so. what a wasted well, yeah, but... <laughs> wasted my segue <laughs> but she's saying that we don't have the, the standards which is, is true that's just factual uh, so if we don't have that and we have nothing to benchmark against how can you know we be exp- companies be expected to you know be blamed for this if you know we're not providing any guidance we're not deciding as customers and as users we're not deciding you know this is our limit this is what we think is reasonable this is what we the standard that we want you to uphold that's for governments to decide and that's where you create the standard so the gdrp uh, gdpr yeah (laughs) Um, the gdpr was like our first step towards that um and as a regulation it doesn't really have clause it was a very very first draft um but it should be it should be providing a baseline for us to build upon um you know this is this is stuff that's kind of new in terms of society like the industrial revolution and then the computer revolution are things that society suddenly had massive paradigm shifts um and it took a while for society to work out how it was going to secure against industry, you know, stopping children from being smushed to death whilst cleaning machines, you know, seat belts in cars, all of this kind of stuff. It takes time for those standards to be put in place. But one would assume when it comes to technology moving quickly that we should have started earlier and actually created that baseline and say that innovation for innovation's sake isn't a good thing and it actually should be measured and controlled. Um, Not from the point of view that innovation is bad, but where innovation creates security issues, then it can be bad. But nobody wants to do that when things are new. So there's always been the opportunity to do this, but it it hasn't been taken on board. That's what caused the dot-com revolution. And that's what's put us in the situation we are in now. It's also the same, probably the same reason we have terrible global warming problems. Society as a whole can't really do much. I think it's more 
governments need to band together to make a decision about whether uh, they accept this or not. Okay, so we, we mostly are in agreement here. Uh, Except you're an anarchist. No, the, so the things, I, I mean, uh, the thing I would note would be, again, I will repeat myself, if we are not doing anything about it, society is not doing anything about it, government is not doing anything about it. When you say we, do you mean security? We, I mean, we the people. <laughs> um, the people we, are. How can we... People are doing stuff about it, but the problem is that the most compelling thing that you could do is opt out, and no one's prepared to do that. Well, you, you also said that nobody wants to write the standards and take a stand. So, no, I do. I've been offering for a long time to write the standards. I, I am that shitty. And no, nobody wants I to pay for it. I am that right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I would literally write the standards. I keep offering. I even offered DCMS that I would write the standards for half a million pounds. <laughs> and they said no. But, um, but that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. So if we don't have that, how can we sit here and, you know, point fingers if we're not telling the companies, you know, this is, is wrong, this is what you need to do instead. This because is it how takes you time. should develop. Because influence takes time. Okay. You can't. That's fine. I, I, I accept that. Yeah. I'm just saying that, you know, because it takes time, during that time, shit's going to happen and companies and developers will go wild because we. Which is why users, you don't blame the individual. Yeah. I definitely uh, see things that they are changing, like, you know, back to, to how things were, you know, a decade ago. Like, People are a bit more aware, but um, but let, let let's move on. And also, just to clarify that you know, society is not it won't do anything, and that the government should do well. The governments just represent society. Exactly. So yeah. they're the elected bodies. So they have to make a decision about what priorities are. Um, Saskia, did you want to go back to your previous segue and move on to the DCMS stuff, or, or should we move I on? I think we this? can. I just thought it was really funny that. I bid 1.2 million pounds to irritate people and disrupt the system and it really disrupted the system and now they've decided that they're going to go ahead with the council and it's not disrupted anything. Um, <laughs> so bringing it back to something slightly more technical, um, the CD Project Red breach, did, people, did anyone read about that? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Jose finally read something. <laughs> did you buy Cyberpunk twenty seven or whatever? I did. Not yet. I bought it. I bought it for like I don't know uh, half price on the Ooh. day before it came out. Um, Have you played? I don't it? know how this happened, but I. Oh yeah, I played it for like a solid uh, eighteen hours on the first two days, and I've been trying to stop it updating because each update ruins the fun. By fixing the bugs, do you mean? Yes, you, I remember you saying it was a really is bad the, game. Is this the attack where they're threatening yeah. to publish the source code? Yeah, I really want them to publish but the source like, code because I want to play the original version want, again. Who would want the source code of this game? Oh, I, I everyone! Want it. I want it. Oh my god, the first day was incredible. I fell through the floor like six times. <laughs> I came across a gang that were all looking at walls and couldn't move. Um, my characters all T-posed throughout one of the opening cutscenes. Oh um, and a motorbike flew through the air from I don't know quite where and twatted me in the middle of a like uh, very like a cinematic battle. Um, also, there was a bit where someone jumped on my car or motorbike. I can't remember what the cutscene was. And instead of doing what they were supposed to do and shooting me, just T-posed at me. The first day of Cyberpunk 2077, really, I thought it was going to be a bad game, mm. but this was beyond all expectations. Oh it was so bad, it was amazing. I had... Oh, and also, nothing would render. 
I need to say for context here that March really knows what he's talking about because he actually is an avatar in a game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I am a character in a cyberpunk game. He is a character in a cyberpunk game. So do, do you remember, Jeffrey, when we were talking the other day and I was describing March physically to you? Yes. Yeah, like jeans, hiking boots, leather jacket down to his knees. Yep. That's literally how they've drawn him. And it's yeah. perfect. It is it perfect, it's yeah. absolutely perfect. I've even got the long hair again. I heard with Cyberpunk uh, 20, it's 2077, right? Um, yeah. yeah. I heard that there were some bugs that meant, meant that people couldn't even complete the game. Like the last um, like cutscenes and things were just break and crash and all kinds of oh things. yeah you couldn't sometimes your character wouldn't even like interact with other characters other characters <laughs> wouldn't appear it, so that the hackers stole the source code for this yeah. and witcher and a few other bits and yeah. bobs and they're trying to sell it but like it's like trying to sell one of my python skills <laughs> <laughs> it's only going to work on my computer the bits that are reusable elsewhere are going to be minimal it's going to be art it's going to be texture packs it's going to be all that kind of stuff that like I'm, I'm gonna allegedly it. they also stole parts of the engine so that would be internal okay. documents as well I, I heard that they 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 sold um or they, they stole and they sold the the ransomware is called hello kitty and it was also deployed at a brazilian power company so um one wonders if this was accidental well so where a project a city project red they're poland right yes Polish, yeah yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of been, uh, uh, like, part of me is like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Release everything. Um, especially since, imagine if it, if the, the code is released and, every, like, all the people just fix the bugs and there's, like, a, a, I mean, a bug-free version. There is version. a lot to be learned from a code base like that as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But then on the other, other hand, obviously, you know, this is a company that's trying to, you know, Try to make a living, um, and having someone. They're also uh, completely independent, so they're not yeah. like backed by any major uh, publisher or anything like that. Exactly. So yeah, and they, I mean, they started really small in, in Poland, and uh, you, you know, just like the last maybe five six years is when they actually you know grew a lot because of the success of Witcher Three. So so yeah, I mean, they it's it's a lot of like people's hard work that is going, you know, to someone else. We don't know how it's going to be used, if at all, but it, it can be bad. So one question is, what was the motivation? Because to to take someone's source code and then want to auction it off requires, uh, I mean, I, it kind of feels like malice. Like if, if, I, if I just wanted to um, get some money, I'd ransomware them and that'd be job done, but they're auctioning the code to someone else. They're auctioning it because they couldn't sell it. Yeah, that, that they, makes... Sorry, they couldn't ransomware successfully. CD Project Red, yeah, they things, they're backups. not going to pay anything. Yeah, well, one would wonder based on the code for Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, maybe that raises the question. Like a lot of ransomware incidents, you can't auction the code because it has, or the data, because it has no value. You know, like so many businesses, if they lose their data, it harms the business. But if it goes to someone else, the impact's a lot mm. less. Ah, but if you publicize it, you're doing damage to the company and you're telling other companies who get hit by the same ransomware later that you mean business, that this isn't yeah, just something true. that's going to go away. No, no. If you ignore them, they will punish you. 
reputationally, I suppose. They'll prove that they hacked you. They'll prove that they got all of this cool stuff and they'll publish your company secrets. I, I mean, they, I mean it's... They, they did prove by releasing uh, samples of the codes. And uh, I mean, CD Projekt Red did confirm that it was their code. So yeah, I, um, I think that they actually did. They, they've already sold. They sold it, right? Supposedly. Allegedly. So basically, they yeah, allegedly they they started the the auction, and I think the auction would run for like four hours or something. And um, amidst the the auction, they they closed it and message uh, people saying that it was uh, a private <laughs> a private buyer or something mm -hmm. had contacted them with an offer, and they accepted it, and the auction wasn't going to happen anymore. How much did they sell it for? A million dollars, uh, I, I think I, I read. I don't remember. I think it was more than that. I, so I saw two numbers. That just, was a million just to dollars. get into the auction, you had to pay a BD. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I find the idea that anyone's going to pay a million dollars for some game code somewhat farcical, especially game code that was received so badly on release. I think that was a fiction. Yeah, but, but I mean, you're, you're just thinking of Cyberpunk here. And like I said, it, it wasn't just Cyberpunk. There were other games involved. So there was uh, The Witcher Yeah, there was the Red Engine and all of that. But There was the Red Engine. But even and... that was even that was previously very bad, badly received when it was released. I don't know if you remember, but The Witcher 3 had a lot of bugs on release. Yeah. Um, and, that and... engine is probably completely unusable for anything besides The Witcher 3. Because... Okay, okay, okay. I mean, it was it had lots of bugs when it was released. Yes, true. Like any Ubisoft game, whatever. So mm -hmm. games have bugs when they when they're released. That's no surprise. Uh, that doesn't mean that you know The Witcher Three didn't become one of the best games like ever. So yeah. it's they're but, still valuable. I mean, I disagree base. with that first of all because I don't like The Witcher games that much. You're you're just a grizzled white dude doing grizzled white dude things. It's not my cup of tea. Um, <laughs> but uh, the other point is that the, the fixes are going to be very Witcher specific, right? And the engine itself, you can probably get the same thing, but if you use the, the you license the Unity engine or something else for a lot less money. Um, I just, I don't see the financial benefit for paying a million quid unless you're Elon Musk and you're bored one night. I do wonder whether it was just somebody with, you know, a lot of money and, and they bought it more for um, preserving the code, being able to access it. Um, because you're right, unless those... The, the internal documents that were sold with it, unless they contain anything like particularly useful, um, I, I can't I can't see why someone would buy that. And, unless again, they just want to be they want to be able to access the code to preserve. I mean, I it think to... like there's there's like just let's say that a developer in China bought it. Okay, China would be a huge market, more than enough to make a profit on the, whatever they spent on the code. And you know they'd be protected because PCC would you know prevent CD Projekt Red from taking any actions against a company you know within their their country. Uh, I mean I, I, I'm not saying it's uh, oh it's, it, they won the lottery here, but it, there is value and there is money to. Well, so you think it. that they could make like a like using the, the same engine replacing assets and make a new version of the game, or or just compile it and they, sell. The same version. No, no, no. They, they they could use the code base to make, make a different the, game. Okay. 
I mean, there's this history of like um, back in the NES days, mm. Chinese companies would make bootleg copies of games, right? But that wasn't that easy because they would actually face legal action in various places. And the PCC isn't really going to step up and protect some bootlegging company. It's, uh, you know, it's too much hassle. Plus, I mean, for a, mil- names for a million times. dollars as I well. Can... For a million dollars, I, I feel like you could just make your own engine for that if that was your goal. You could license your own engine. Yeah, you could license an engine that'll do the same thing. I mean, the assets are the only thing you're really going to be losing out on here. But you can 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 strip assets from other things. Exactly. Uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. We'll see how what happens. Um... Talking of failed ransomware, um, three North Korean hackers who were associated with WannaCry in 2017 uh, have been accused by American prosecutors uh, in association with APT38, which is the Lazarus Group. Did anyone read about that? Oh man, that was a while ago. It was yeah, but last I don't really week. trust any no, of your, that. Your was news was week. your news was last week, but me reading about the Lazarus Group would be a while ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean that would have been, but the prosecution was last. You just wanted to knock my segue, didn't you? <laughs> no, 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 no. You asked if anyone read about that, and I mean. I don't remember any. It was in the that. Washington Post, although I can't read that article because it's behind a paywall. We can, uh, we can have. There are ways that. around the Washington. Uh, never mind that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> edit that out. Edit that out, Jay. I will edit that out. So apparently, uh, this is to do with like a conspiracy to steal 1.3 billion pounds in cash and cryptocurrency. Oh, my argument here is that I think I think the, the problem here is that it's it's very easy for them to point fingers at random military officials and say oh you were behind this they, they do this repeat like regularly every two years with the chinese and they're like oh so and so general was behind x y and z attack and there's like well there's no evidence in the the thing this is all based on like everything you have in it you're even using demandian names <laughs> this is probably just you know the u.s government posturing which it is yeah because i always and good luck extra- shadow brokers no the shadow brokers and all of that are unrelated Okay, so that was just a t- 2017 thing. The shadow brokers were the guys who allegedly broke into what was allegedly an NSA ops box and posted like the code that was then used for WannaCry later. Right. But mm. you know, after that, everyone had their ac- access to that. So, Alice, do you believe that was the case? Um, I don't know. Genuinely, um, I think if it was an NSA ops, like, it, do I think it was an NSA ops box? Yes, for example. Mm, I don't know. There was a lot of notes and a lot of weird stuff there. There was a lot of documentation. Seems weird that they'd have all of that documentation on like a VPS that they're using to launch attacks. Well, they they'll, they'll need the documentation for their operators. You'd imagine they'd keep they, that locally, they, right? They, on a on a confluence or something. Well, they're may, maybe they're deploying it. The guy operator is new. He needs to you know needs to have it on the box how, so he can chat it, it and read it in Vim. I, I mean, so so you think that wouldn't happen then? Yeah, yeah. I think with like a group like the NSA putting your documentation on a box that you don't have 100% physical control over, and that could be ownable, is unlikely. Didn't the MOD have open Trello boards, or was it MI5? I don't know. Definitely one of the UK government departments. I think it was MI5 or MI6 had non-private Trello boards that had like passwords and the tickets. Not surprising. I could definitely believe that. Andrew looks like he knows something about this. I do do remember finding some Trello boards with some very interesting stuff a few years ago, but none of them were government, I don't think. They were 
just you know FTSE 100. <laughs> <It's gonna> be- <laughs> I'm sure there's a big old scandal about there being some like literally intelligence agency stuff on open trello boards. It was it was definitely a thing that was happening um, a, a few years back. I mean, still now, but uh, particularly a few years back before people were talking about it. I, I, um, I do think that opsec in government departments can be really challenging when you're talking about offensive stuff because if you look at somewhere like mi5 or six everything's about data flows you know like you you do not allow data to go the wrong way like people should not see data that shouldn't but then when you start attacking systems there's a connection that doesn't involve you know like a data diode or someone stopping you doing that stuff and it i can totally imagine how you you leak things like that i mean we've done it we've we've written a custom bit of malware for a, a red team and then some idiots uploaded it to virus total and it's came <laughs> over you know like it's like oh is it going to be detected you know things like that it's i can see how it happens and it, it i'll look more polymorphic encryptor like yeah encryptors though then it's okay <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think everyone makes mistakes um and i don't think the nsa or Whoever does it here or whoever does it in China is above reproach, to be honest. If it makes you feel any better, Andrew, my experience of trying to buy anything from Virus Total takes so incredibly long that no one will ever be able to find this malware that you uploaded to Virus Total because <laughs> they will be caught in the sales loop until the end of time. I don't even ever paid Virus Total again anymore because it's their their pricing has changed. It became so much of a hassle. Um, like I, I last time I had to use Virus Total, I literally it was easier to email one or like message one of the developers on whatever I was messaging him on, be like, "Hey, buddy, we've talked before. Do you mind if I just have some of these samples because I'm looking at them?" Such a Virus Total is so annoying. Um. Max have had some malware on the M1 chips. Was that your segue? No, I just I've I'm not doing segues anymore. Pretty bad segue. I I don't care. I don't do them. Whatever. Yeah. This is a full stop. Next segment. (laughs) So yeah, the 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 Mac M1 processor based laptops have got some malware on them, but I think Mm. this has been blown out of all proportion. Um, Yeah. It's like essentially it's a different processor, and it's got some slightly different exploit mitigation stuff available on it, but. You can write malware for Intel. You can write malware yeah. for an M1. It doesn't really make much difference. But the weird thing about this report is the malware doesn't appear to be doing anything. And they can't work out how it got on the machines. So it's so just kind of like... That is the interesting thing for me. Like, I, I definitely, obviously, I agree. Like, the fact that it's just, like, malware for the M1 process, like, that is not super interesting. No, no. Um, but I couldn't figure out where it came the from. The M1 is just ARM, right? It's an ARM architecture, yeah. It, it's it's an ARM architecture process, but really, it's Apple. Yeah. You know, it's really quite complex. Um, Like, I think it has, like, a load of stuff, like, on the chip, like, memory and stuff, so that... Yeah, it's like a lot faster and things. I actually, I mean, if it's I, ARM, there's going to be a way to write malware for it fairly easily. I mean, there's an ARM malware for. Oh, you've got one. I do. Yeah. And, wow. And Chippy's getting one soon as soon as it, it delivers, and, and Rob as well. Can I can I can I tell you about a better company? It's called Microsoft. This is the part of the podcast where we go to our sponsors, oh my God, Microsoft. So um, Not a you, can, you can just Ali, jump on Jose, a sh- would you like to tell us why Microsoft are the best company in the world? Because of Absolutely. Edge. Absolutely. They produce the best products. They're the best customer support. 
port. Um, and they don't have weird malware that doesn't do anything, right? Malware that targets Microsoft boxes is really interesting. It does stuff. It breaks your computer. It ransomwares it and sells yeah, the source has. code to other people. <laughs> Whereas this M1 stuff does it's nothing. Ex- but that's just free yeah, backup. It's exciting what and thrilling. Needs? Um, so yeah, this malware, it was... Um, I could I couldn't figure out like where it came from. I read a few articles and yeah. it just seemed to be there, which is kind of weird. And there can't be that many like M1 devices out there yet because like, no no I mean I, I think they've sold um, millions. You know that we're talking huge numbers. Okay, that's the thing with Apple. They sell huge numbers of devices. They drop something new like this. People love it, but it just. There's got to be a vector to get that mm. malware onto the computer. Is is that an O'Day in one of the bits of software that runs on it? Is it that, that people that buy M1s just download things and run them? Because this is one thing I don't yeah. like about Macs. They really mm. encourage you to run unsigned software. Like it just kind of, it becomes a normal thing, in my opinion, on a Mac. Maybe it's just the software I download. Yeah, could it, could- that's kind of what I'm thinking. Since it's not doing anything, could it not just be some analytics thing? No, no so there is a write-up of it. This is the thing. If you have a Mac, it can't be infected. It's impossible. <laughs> it cannot it's be it, infected. It's impossible. Um, it's- so, Andrew, I think that's actually a really good point because I know a lot of people buying the M1s at the moment, and this is the reason why I have one, is because I want to like play around with the, um, the, the iOS like emulation on it yeah and so i know people have been like downloading like weird you know binaries to to be able to do that especially since if i remember correctly apple they did stop um you from like running um like like running some some apps on Uh, it's 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 not apple yeah so it's not apple so the developer of the application has to like allow it or enable to be executed on a on a Mac. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. But um but but there was a way to sideload them onto the uh like the emulated device, but Apple True. changed that. So um like when I was looking about that, you know, people were come up with these workarounds and saying, you know, install this and whatever. So yeah, I wonder if 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 the malware was spread that way, um, just because yeah, people are trying to figure this out and there's not necessarily as many people looking at, at this the the tools that have now been released for this. Um, so, there, there is a good write-up. I've just started a chance to, to read about it. I, I think it's really easy to coerce uh, users to install software that's not signed, comes from a dodgy mm. source. Yeah. Um, you don't really have to do that much, and it might not be malicious as such, like directly. I mean, this, this thing could not be something really dodgy. But yeah, like you say, it could be that people want to emulate iPhones mm. on the M1, which is technically possible. They download some software, install it, and away you go. But it, it's kind of hard to tell at the moment. There's not enough info. This malware is really weird, like for a bunch of reasons. But I mean, it's using AWS S3. They're going to get that pulled easily enough. Apparently, they're using Akamai for the like callback. I mean, this doesn't seem like it's actually malware as much as it seems like it's just, I don't know. For all I know, this could be some really weird um, analytics thing. They, they, they say hello world in one of their binaries and you did it this sounds like it's more an incomplete analytics thing than any actual malware right maybe it's just an incomplete malware <laughs> they, uh, they, maybe, they ran maybe. out of time decided to push it yeah i mean i guess yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes what was that incomplete malware that was deployed anyway well you know 
accidents do, happen. It could be a proof of concept. It could be someone wanting to prove a point. You know, yeah, especially yeah. something that's innocuous out there. I, I don't really understand it. There's not there's not enough detail there for me to like make a judgment about this yet. Mm. Yeah, I'd need to actually get the binaries to have a look, to be honest with you, to see what's going on. But this this definitely smells like it's something that's not actually malicious, to be quite honest with you. Even if it's in it's in twenty nine thousand max, but I it doesn't have any obvious payload. It doesn't look like it's really trying to do anything shady, right? I mean, you don't go to AWS S three as your downloader to yeah. This is the thing. It's like the, the the bits that matter here is how did it end up on the machine? The architecture is irrelevant. It's an M1. You can compile code for it. You know, I don't I don't get why the news is leading with that. It's it's weird. I could compile code for anything. I mean, an M1 is just an ARM box. I'm pretty certain it shouldn't be too difficult to compile things for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I guess um, I guess time will tell. Um, does anyone else have any other stories? Because I got one more that I wanted to talk about. No, I'm. I. I think. I think Chippy and I are out of stories. You can be <laughs> separate people. <laughs> no, don't you have a go at me and Chippy? You had a go at everyone today that they didn't do enough research, and Chippy and I did our research, and now you're being as salty as a bag of peanuts. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you for. Doing some we take the podcast very seriously because we were bored of work and wanted to do something <laughs> different. Um, in that case, the, the last thing I wanted to talk about, um, and this was just something today, um, CVE 2021-21972, um, which is an unauthenticated RCE in uh, VMware ESXi. Um, just dropped a few hours ago, I think. Did anyone get a chance to, to read about that or see it? You sent me the link, but I ignore all the links you send me. So, because I'm a hacker. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. certainly. You, you, you are a hacker. Jamal. I'm untrustworthy. Yeah. Um, no, th- this one was was cool. Again, like it, it, it dropped like just before uh, this episode of the podcast. Um, so I, I've not had a chance to, to read it fully. Um, I had a quick look at the write up, um, which was in Chinese, and um, it looks like like a very simple, like I say, simple, but you know, simple thing. Um, where there was a directory traversal in an upload on an unauthenticated endpoint um, on VMware um, ESXi, I think, um, or, 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 and the, the vSphere client. Um, so you could just uh, upload a, um, like a shell or you know, like an SSH key or something and, and write that to disk and then, yeah, unauthenticated access. So I imagine there's going to be a lot of people who might scanning the internet for <laughs> for the for these devices and you know having some fun well i use uh, hyper v by microsoft tm for my virtualization needs so it won't be a problem here it does look like a really simple vulnerability too simple of, right yeah 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 it kind of i'm surprised by this like yeah. i'm only just reading it now but it doesn't look like it's the most complicated thing in the world nope it looks, so it's, a, it looks it's an upload and a command injection vulnerability yeah, it's it's, wow. it's I was I was surprised to read it. It's like you know, it's almost like a CTF or you know that kind of thing. Um, you know, hacking one hundred and one type uh, type phone. But it's there. Like as I said, like I, I read that it was unauthenticated. I don't know whether that's true. Um, there are some mitigations, so you can disable the. Uh, I think the, the vulnerability in this, is in a specific module, so you can disable that and you'll be protected. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing like how people start, you know, 
scanning for this over the next few days and, and stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. In that case, um, shall we take a quick break before we move on to uh, the next part?